The pharmaceutical industry is a complex and fascinating field. It takes countless of people to bring a high-quality product to the market. In the Qualitox podcast, I bring to you leaders, experts, and innovators who will share their experiences and explain to us how they do it. Paul, welcome back to the Qualitox podcast. You are an honored guest. Uh, love to have you back. Hi, Jan. Uh, nice to be back. I'm glad to be invited again. Yeah, thank you very much. And uh, our topic today is uh, uh, preparation for audits. Um, yeah. Let's say regulatory audits or external audits and uh, audits in general. So, but I think it's the most important is regulatory audits. Yeah, the, the, if you prepare well for the regulatory audits, then you're ready for all the rest. For all you... the rest of them. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. So you should be, of course, prepared for internal audits uh, because mm -hmm. uh, this sets uh, your... Uh, level and uh, it's important to have a good auditing uh, program in place uh, but still you need uh, really uh, to be prepared for uh, the audit so the question is uh, uh, is it a good idea to wing it just uh, uh, dive into it well if you want to get lots of observations to deal with afterwards um it's always better to be prepared because the dealing with observations afterwards rather than at the time um It takes a lot more effort, of course, but also if you, if somebody's got a good feel for you when you're when you're auditing you, then you're going to get uh, um, and that's not necessary. So if if you're prepared, then you you enjoy. I enjoy the audit <laughs> as though the T or the auditor. I enjoy the as a, as the auditee if I know everything's prepared. Um, if if I'm arriving on the day and there's been no preparation um then it's very hard to it's very hard to actually do anything beneficial other than um take notes um you know, of course you can build up the rapport with the um the auditor the inspector but if you haven't actually done the pre-work if you haven't made sure that you've got uh done a review of the last time they were there and, and prepare your um responses for them prefer an evidence file that you can take them straight through and then they'll see that you've done everything preferably on time um, that you agreed last time uh, and see all the, the work that you've been doing. Um, then, of course, you want to have your company presentation. Um, if, you've, if, you've, if they've been before, then you'd want to do a presentation that covers what's happened since last time you were there. If it's new, then you want a full presentation of the the oversight of the company and then down into the details usually it's worth introducing at the um, opening meeting all the people that they're likely to come into contact with so then it's not actually for the inspector or the auditor that's for the people that are going to be involved because you want them to be comfortable not just you and if the people that are going to be involved know beforehand what's going to be happening you've You've worked with them, you've made sure that they're on, they understand what to expect and the way that they should be answering. And then you introduce them to the inspector or auditor as they come in, maybe for the opening meeting, and then they, they go off and, and continue with the day. By being there at the opening meeting, it, it means that they're not shocked or not surprised in any way. They get some sort of um, attachment or involvement early on, then they're ready for it. And during an inspection, everybody always talks. What's going on? Where are they going to? Where's this? And they can speak from knowledge. Um, they're not got somebody saying, "Oh, they're really terrible," and they're they're doing this and they're doing that. And they say, "Well, actually, when I've already I've already spoken to them, and and they were really nice and friendly and open and and having a discussion with them." And building that connection before you get there, you find that the people supporting you that are while you're hosting the audit. Um, have a much better um, ambience around them. But a lot of people get really stressed. I remember one one guy that I used to work with, he was the head of operations. And every time we had an audit, he insisted on doing the presentation himself, even though he didn't have a clue <laughs> about the detail behind what he was presenting. He Okay, he'd maybe signed off on a, some of the SOPs, but not necessarily the detailed ones, because he had his... his managers and his supervisors doing those so he was taking people around and, and finding things out as he was going around rather than 
giving the job to the person that actually knows the details, the person that's managing the individual areas, maybe the supervisor, to do the presentation and to do it based on fact. Because the risk when you the risk when you do it, don't do it based on fact. Um, when you do it based on what you've known from previous, is that the wrong information goes through. If you if you're doing the if you're doing the audit from the basis that um, you've got the oversight but you don't know the detailed knowledge, then the person that you're uh, presenting to, it's it's quite easy for them later to find out the information that you um, presented was incorrect, and then that's your first finding. The uh, the current practice does not reflect what's documented in the SOP. And that's just by not having the right person doing the presentation in the first place, because the person presenting should be the person that's doing the job, or at least is close enough to understand all the details. So we uh, already got into uh, the audit uh, itself and the, the the problems that uh, actually arise if you yeah, don't instead of the preparation. <laughs> so it's good. So we know uh, what can uh, happen. So uh, you come not prepared. You have the wrong people presenting. Uh-huh. instead of uh, the right ones. It's clear that uh, it shouldn't uh, be like that. Uh, do a quality job even if nobody is looking, you know, if, if yeah. you don't have an audit. So um, it's, of course, the, the perfect uh, scenario that you always work according to regulations, but we know it's not like that because usually when there is an audit, so uh, there are... Uh, extra cleaning in the laboratories and you have uh, extra um, emails that go around and say okay uh, get rid of the sticky notes and i I don't know what you know (laughs) and uh, And the whole facility again yeah exactly so you start um, you know really dig in also although you know you should be working like this uh, from in the first place uh, and we know it's it's not uh, like that so there are uh, many problems Uh, so uh, you said that the if you don't prepare, you should prepare yourself for a lot of uh, uh, findings uh, that uh, are not there. Um, so is it also like that if you have a good uh, uh, internal audit program? Well, the internal audit program should be um, in sufficient detail to be supporting the uh, organization. So they should be um, vertical and horizontal. So they should be looking down within an organization and uh, within a, a department, and then they should be looking across um, between um, different departments. And they they should be the ones that are helping you to be up to date, uh, compliant and prepared. But of course, it's hard to do that. It's hard for a self-inspection team to have enough time allocated to be able to do the work that would mean that you'd be ready all the time. They can do the routine, they can do the compliance with the SOPs. But of course, you need a large, qualified, skilled team to do that for every single area. And sometimes you find that they're a bit too close to it, a bit too close to the actual work to take it to that next level because their experience is within that organization. And then you find when somebody new comes in, the first thing they will do, which is, is what I tend to do when I join an organization, is I get involved in the self-inspection program and identify things that need to be addressed. And that that's it's one of the skills that you need as, a, as uh, an internal auditor is to think of it as if you don't know anything. You go into a specific team, a specific area or a specific product if you're looking across and you say, right, if I was going doing this from nothing, what would I look at? Where would I go? You take your tour around, you look at the base documentation, then you dig in deep. You choose a specific example and go deep into it. And then as you do so, you usually find that you're going to find certain people involved in different things. You identify the training records and you go through as if you were doing a full on audit. And from that, you have to identify any observations. Of course, you're not thinking of critical observations because you're not going to shut down the organization the same way as you would if you're external. But if you do find critical observations, well, that's the t- that's the time to find them when you're doing your self-inspection, because then you can put your cappers in place. And a lot of a lot of the work to prepare for a, a an audit for a, an inspection from an external body is actually what you would do on your self-inspections. If you're 
focusing on making improvements, making sure that you are following good documentation practice, making sure that you're correcting all the documents properly in every case, that your SOPs or your work instructions or your policies are all current to what you actually do. Then when you get to the inspection, you're going to be fine. Now, what I've done for recent, actually probably for, it's not recent really, it's the last 20 years, um, is have an independent audit. So you do a gap analysis when you're preparing for a, a regulatory inspection or maybe just once a year. And you get somebody that's never been involved in the, in the company or at least hasn't been involved for three years. And you get them to do a gap analysis, a detailed compliance inspection, a compliance audit, which you then use to identify problems within the company, problems within your systems, problems in your facility, problems in your training, anything. And then you go away from that and you get the, you've got the input and you think, well, what can I do to address these to make it so that I never have the problem again? So an example of that is moving from a paper record to electronic records. So if you're running with paper records now and you're on multiple sites, there's a high risk of something going missing. And that's often the biggest problem that you've got is missing records. You have to generate them again because wherever they went to, you can't find them. Maybe they've got three signatures already, but you just can't locate them because whoever it went to next, it wasn't logged maybe, and you can't find the record. And maybe maybe the person that has got it, you see it three years down the line, and then it comes up and, and you say, oh, well, we regenerated that one anyway, which is against GMP. You shouldn't be preparing documents that you've already prepared. Now, of course, most of us these days do them electronically. So if you move from a hard copy system to an electronic system, it's not a very big jump from generating all your documents on Word to putting them into an electronic quality management system. Because the majority of the quality management systems will now use uh, the Microsoft Office packages to generate the records and the um, documents, the SOPs, the work instructions that you're then going to use to actually produce your quality management system. Now, the electronic ones then bring a workflow behind that. So your document approval process for those documents is electronic and you have people that have got their authorized login and their roles within the organization and you can direct the, the documents automatically to them. Now what that then does it eliminates the lost documents. So instead of having paper records that you're chasing around the company you've got something that you can track. You've got your metadata behind and you've got the uh, compliant signatures which you validated. Now, there we come to a different problem. So moving from paper to electronic does bring its own complications. So you, then you're gonna have the inspectors looking at your validation. So you've got your IQ, RQ, PQ, which you would with any computer system, but at least it's eliminating a problem of lost documents. Exactly. And uh, it's also really helpful when uh, an auditor asks you for a document uh, and then uh, you need to run uh, across the plant uh, to find it and uh, you really want to avoid it. Uh, such, and it really helps uh, when you have it electronically because even if you scan it as a PDF, it can be that uh, you uh, didn't uh, have the time to do it. You still have it uh, uh, in the hard copy and you didn't upload it into the server and then... Um, you can forget about it and so on. So it causes problems. Yeah. Right. And, it, and if you're generating them in real time, then you've got no issue You're because covered. you've actually released it based on the documentation you've generated. Exactly. Or perform the task if it's not a release. So we talked uh, about uh, SOPs, right? So uh, the basic to uh, having the preparation, like everything, you probably should have a decent SOP that explains you what to do before an audit. So it should be explained uh, what uh, and who should uh, who should do what right before yep. the audit. So what yeah, should so you, be... you should get together. You should get together as a team beforehand and agree who's going to do what. Yeah. Now it's much easier if that's already standardised than an SOP. You have certain roles. So normally you would have a backroom. Now the backroom will have 
the information that they you're expecting the auditors to ask for so they'll already have that pre-prepared but you'll also use them to actually qualify the documents that you are going to bring in to the auditor when they're on the way in they're usually um, in charge of making sure the SMEs, the subject matter experts, are available. Make sure you get the right person to present the right document. Yeah. So you would have somebody that's in charge of the backroom. Then you'd have maybe one or two runners. One or two runners have got basically they run to do the tasks. So maybe they would go and find people if they're um, needed urgently. They might go and fix a problem if you found one as you've been going along. You've got something missing that something that's just been presented because of course you check through so you have usually a couple of smes that just check the documents before they go in so does that make sense yeah so you've got the people that you've got the person that's running the room you've got a couple of people checking because they're checking the specifics and you've got a couple of people doing the running exactly so now, you have, uh, yeah so you have the people on the ground with the auditors there is a, a, there probably should be a, an escort that escorts the auditor there probably should be preferably another two. Preferably preferably two. two while because there should be someone who is uh, al uh, always ready to answer the question somebody who uh, reports also to the back office uh, what happens and uh, what is needed exactly exactly or you can have the one of the runners be coming in in every 15 minutes or so to collect so you would document the request that you've got for paperwork. Yeah, and if uh, you have electronic system or some chat or something that uh, mm -hmm. it directly goes live, it uh, it expedites uh, the the whole uh, process. That's a common. That's common, but it's it's actually can be quite distracting if you have to type everything out. So usually people use handwritten anyway. Mm. Um, also because you can then use them to collect requests afterwards and learn from it. So every time you have an audit, you should learn from the requests. And if there's anything that comes up that you find a problem with, well, you make sure you've addressed it for next time. Yeah. So there should be uh, probably somebody who uh, takes uh, notes, uh, additionally, someone who is not maybe the runner, but he takes notes of the whole uh, procedure. For example, uh, sometimes when you, uh, from my example, sometimes uh, when I, I've been in an audit, sometimes I see things that the auditor doesn't see. And then I uh -huh. take notes uh, for myself uh, because I know, okay, oh, good, he, he, he didn't, uh, uh, it wasn't noticed, but we must, uh -huh. uh, we must uh, correct it. So I take so the notes. So yeah, exactly. So scribes that take uh, the notes, okay, we need to take care of it uh, before the next inspection, or uh, uh -huh. you know, or before the auditor asks to see it, uh, like uh, tomorrow. Uh -huh. I do have an example of that. So back in uh, 1995. The company I was with identified during an FDA audit, it was 94, 95, um, that they didn't have the um, systems and processes in place for the um, subcontracted um, operations that they were doing. So um, they were missing the technical agreements, they were missing the specifications. They'd all been sent out, but nobody had actually been chasing them to come back. Um, so I got given the role to put that in place. Um, so they identified it during the audit. The, what they were doing in the back room was was consistently identifying where it might go next. Um, so they were they were predicting from the way that it was questioning what would be the next um, inspection route, what could be the next thing that they look for. We had um, some colleagues from the US over supporting us, um, so they could um, advise us on what the uh, expected next routes were. And we expected him to go to this um, this uh, technical agreements through the SOPs. And what we found was there was a big gap. Now, because there was a big gap, they thought, well, what are we going to do about it? Well, fortunately, he didn't go and look at it. Um, but uh, within a couple of months afterwards, I had a new job. <laughs> they wanted somebody to go and set it up. So the systems, mm -hmm. the SOPs, the technical agreements, the specifications. And at the same time, we were purchasing a, a new set of, of products from a company over in Sweden. So I, I got to do a new one as well. So sort out the existing one, start auditing um, and um, address the problem all in one go. Yeah, so you see there, there is the benefits of uh, somebody who is uh, looking from the external. Yes, yes. And, and it's always good to, to actually learn from an audit. When I go out on an audit on a new type of facility, on a new 
a new company. I'm looking at, at what my um, agenda is, yes, of course. But also you can find new ways of doing things. You can often find that somebody has a, a slightly unique approach. Maybe they've got a different way of um, checking things in at Goods In. Maybe they've got a different way to actually manage the documentation. Maybe they, I remember a long time ago, there was um, tea cards. There was this, quite a small organization that were using tea cards for their training system. So quite often, you, an area, if you want to find um, a, a deviation, a non-compliance, an observation, should I say, during an inspection or an audit, look at calibration and training. And if you go far enough, in-depth enough, you'll find something. I've never been on an audit where the, the, those two systems were completely perfect. But there's a level. There's a level that you expect them to get to. And you're not going to raise a critical observation for somebody signing it two days after an SOP came live. As long as you've got evidence that they weren't actually performing the task, then you're fine. Um, calibration. Calibration is a big one. Validation and calibration, because often the, the problem can be when they change suppliers. So if you find, if you use a, uh, I've gone off to um, findings again, haven't I? Um, so if you go and um, you're using one contract organization, maybe you use the organization that you purchased from. They've been doing the service in the calibration, everything for your analytical equipment. And then you get to the point where you're ready um, to move on to another company because they've got to the end of the contract and they, they don't renew it. They just do it for the first three years when it's new. So you move to another company and they will operate in a different way. But what they don't do is close out what the old the first company was doing. And often you find that there's confusing notices on the equipment, there's confusing stickers, there's different reference numbers. And you have to make sure that they all align with your system. Now, what people often forget to do is the change control. Because one of the big things about an inspection is, is how you got from here to here. How did you change the process when it was at this point to where it is now? And the easiest way to document it is change control. Change control, you prepare it in advance. You say, this is the scope. This is what we're going to do. You write up your actions. You do them. You close them out. You, if there's any deviation, if there's anything that you do differently, you write it up, you document it, provide supporting details if needed. And then three months, six months later, you verify that it was effective. And if it wasn't, then you take additional actions. Maybe you have to put some cappers in place because it didn't work the way you were expecting it to work. And it's always it's always the case of keep your documentation, keep your records up to date. Don't go along and leave it till three till the day when you get your inspection notified and say, oh no, we've got all these that we haven't closed out yet. And then if you've left them and left them, the likelihood is that the the supporting documentation that you needed to close out the, the cappers or the change controls have all been archived because that's your routine schedule and you're following that routine schedule. Mm -hmm. So you have to bring them all back out of the archive. Yeah. You have to find all the evidence that you need to support it. You have to close out your change controls, close out your cappers, close out your deviations, whatever it is. And it's a lot of work that if you're just doing it right as you go along, then you don't have the problem. Yeah. So as I said, uh, do it right as if nobody is looking from the beginning, then you have less uh, problems. Uh, but exactly. let's say uh, you didn't. Uh, right. So uh, we are preparing for an audit. Where do we know where to look? So if we didn't, um, if we know that there are those problems, if we did nothing about it, that is uh, wrong from the foundation. But uh, let's assume we don't uh, know uh, what we don't know. So how uh -huh. do we look for it? Uh, now, you start, with the, you, you start with start by auditing your um, your company. So what I would do is I would go into a company and I would do a systems and process audit. So I would look for compliance with the regulations and then I would look for compliance with the systems. So the systems, whether they're whether you call them policies, whether you call them work instructions, SOPs and the records that are generated, maybe forms. And I would look for consistency. Yeah. 
So you start at the site master file or quality manual and you go into the system because then that should show you. And really you're looking to do a gap analysis. Mm -hmm. So the one that the most recent one I did, I unfortunately found a lot of gaps. So I, I found there were um, two rooms that the quality team were not aware of. So there were two storage areas for product and material that was just completely unacceptable from a GMP perspective. There was missing roof tiles. There was garbage in the corners. There was mess on the floor. So it's sort of but a warehouse. Um, it was. It was two okay. separate. Two. Two. It was within the um within the facility, and the two rooms were being used as warehousing. Okay, so somebody decided that uh, they should uh, store some GMP material there or a product, and uh, they didn't uh, bother to inform the QA about it. Exactly. Okay. <laughs> exactly. So they were they were classing them as warehouses, yeah, but mm. there were just two rooms within the facility, really. Mm. Yeah. They weren't dedicated warehousing. Okay. Um, and then there was issues with the documentation because it didn't have enough detail. And when I spoke to different people, they were all doing it in different ways. The same activity was being carried out as they wanted to. So the base level things that they were doing, so they, they knew where the files were stored. They knew, maybe they knew the folder. But then I came and looked at the details in the, in the documentation that was being produced. And depending on who'd done it, it was being created in a different way. So, for example, when there was a change, some of them, they, they had version one, version two, version three, and a checklist. Now, version one was as the um, profile was first set up. But then when they made an update, they did version two. And in some cases, version two had all of the updates and the original information that was still needed. But in other cases, it was, well, you need to do these bits from version one, these bits from version two, and in some cases, some more bits from version three. But because the checklist was then huge, it wasn't useful anymore because you didn't know which parts of version one you still need to use, which parts of version two you needed to use that had been updated on version three. So how are you supposed to get it right? So I looked, yes, complaints. Why have we got complaints? Because we haven't got control. Your process, your pro the, the idea behind the documentation is to maintain control of your process. If you have it clearly documented, then you can keep control. If you have something that gives them the ability to do this option or this option or even this option over here, how do they know which one to choose? So then it goes to the person doing the work, the operator, the technician, whatever you call them, and they have a choice. Well, last time I did it, I did it this way, but I've got this new piece of paper as well as the old piece of paper. So shall I do it that way or shall I do it that way or a mixture of both? And if I do a mixture of both, how do I know which parts of that one to still do and how much of that one to do? And which parts of this is no longer required? They've got no way of knowing. So they're guessing. And if they're guessing, the chances are they're going to do something wrong. Especially if they've got no reference point. Yeah. So it's a bit the documentation, bit the change control processes from the ground. Yes. Yes, it's, it's making sure that your change control process has got details mm -hmm. in it, mm -hmm. not just generic top level. So you mentioned that uh, they did the ch the change, or uh, they moved some, uh, they used some uh, storage area that uh, shouldn't have been uh, used without the QA finding out about it. So the question: is, What is the root cause uh, of that? It can be culture. It can be culture. Um, so if you've had somebody that's been doing a, a job for a long time and they've always done it one way, and they've never needed to have the other teams involved. They've never had the wider scope of the organization involved in change. Yes, so it's probably companies that um, weren't uh, producing GMP and then uh, switch uh, to some uh, new product, maybe to different or the, countries. All the legislation's changed over time. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So they're used to not doing, not keeping the uh, quality team involved. Maybe there's only a base, a low-level person from the quality team, and and the others are off-site somewhere else. So there's nobody keeping the oversight. And what it needs is is for the people that are there to understand 
the aspects of quality and the reasons for using the, the procedures, the reasons for following change control, the reasons for making sure that your team members are understand. Um, and the way that I the way that I find works best is to actually get them involved. So you work, um, for example, I had a, a a purchasing guy that didn't like to work through change control. He just wanted to do what gave him the best deal, how to improve the um, the the pricing, to how to reduce his costs, and still be able to get the materials he wanted. So one example, he came to me with a change to microcrystalline cellulose. It was a excipient that was going to get rolled out around the world by the company and um, they were going to make a significant cost saving because they used it on every single manufacturing site so they were they were looking at six figures six figure savings so i said okay so we need to put it through change control he says but it's got a it's got a global change control it's all fine he says yeah but we, we need to put it through change control our change control process and verify that the, the product is still acceptable with this new material. So we did. We had this change control meeting. We went through all the details and we set up the first trial. So the first trial on the first product, we couldn't get the product to actually compress together. So the, what we found was nothing, nothing worked at all. We couldn't make a single product that we were manufacturing on site with this new material. And then we did some tests on it, a Malvin test, so with the particle sizes. And we found that the profile for the new material was completely different. It's much smaller than the profile for the product we were used to using. And the compression characteristics of the product we routinely use was perfect. We didn't get any capping. We didn't get any crumbly tablets, no soft tablets. They were all the right hardness. The dissolution profile was satisfactory. All right, this, it's not just microcrystalline cellulose, but I think you get the idea. Yep. But with this new material, they came out of the press, they fell to pieces. Mm -hmm. yep. They crumbled. Exactly. Couldn't hit the hardness level. Couldn't form a tablet, an acceptable tablet. And this was about to be rolled out around the world. But they were waiting for the sign off. Mm -hmm. So they didn't roll it out because we wouldn't sign off. Yeah. Yeah. So fortunately, maybe we saved a lot of money. Probably. And maybe, <laughs> maybe more problems. Maybe more than they were going to save with the excipient, because if they had rolled it out around the world, maybe they'd have 20, 30 batches, but those 20, 30 batches would have the API in it. So the most expensive component to a, a batch of tablets isn't one excipient. Okay, they were using a lot of it. It's the actual API. So if they'd wasted that much API, they'd have, <laughs> I think they calculated that they would have lost the next five years worth of benefit from making this change whenever you do changes to your raw materials uh, you must do a, a risk analysis and compare uh, the the parameters because uh, many materials uh, they may have the same name even the same cast number but they may have different manufacturing process that influences uh, some specific uh, chemical uh, attributes like the particle size, for example, or maybe some reactions uh, with other material or, uh, or temperature and, uh, and the melting points and so on. So uh, you must really uh, compare the attributes uh, really carefully when you, when you do, do, F do the FMEA and uh, really compare each parameter and see the differences and uh, try to understand why there are the, dif the differences. And uh, it may uh, uh, be something serious in the end. Yes. Yeah. And it's um, it's the detail. Yeah. Yeah. It's making sure you've got the detail there. Exactly. And uh, and uh, as you said, in, uh, with uh, those materials, even if they did uh, some trial batches, they probably wouldn't have found out about it until it was uh, too late. Too late. Yeah. Yeah. We did it. We did it with um, without the API. We did it on a uh, on a placebo. Yeah. So it's good to have like a PAT labs and some. Uh, uh, manufacturing labs that uh, do it, uh, do the tests on small scales, uh -huh. right? So uh, yeah, we had a development facility, so we had the uh, the capability to do it on site, yeah, yeah. which was good. Again, uh, go back to the preparations. So uh, yes. usually we have, uh, I don't know, like uh, four main departments, right? So we have uh, quali uh, the quality assurance, warranty control, production, and uh, uh, warehousing logistics. 
right? So if we take and a look IT. and IT and IT. Uh, you're, always, you're always now going to want IT because IT gets involved in all the validation right. work, the installation right. work. Right. Uh, so um, at least somebody who is uh, responsible for the quality management systems. And uh, so if you look at each of those departments, so uh, what, uh, so for the preparation, what each department must take a look at? So let's say we have an audit. So uh, let's, uh, let's start from the QA that uh, they oversee it. So what do they need to, to make sure internally and delegate to other departments when they know the audit is coming? So you, well, I, I would actually take it a step back. I would, mm. I would routinely be prepared yeah. as if you're always going to be ready for an audit, always ready for mm. an inspection. Because if you, if you routinely do the work and you have your key performance indicators and you're constantly keeping up to date with your systems and your processes, then when the auditor or the inspector notifies you that they're coming, then you know that you're already ready. If you have a, a regular routine self-inspection, that if any problems are identified, then you take clear action and you implement the action, you verify it's effective. Then you find that you don't actually have the running around when you're preparing for the final audit. When you're preparing for the next inspection, you're confident already that you know you're ready. Let's say you have a really good uh, uh, internal audit program. So uh -huh. uh, you do it, you have the information. So, um, so then you really need uh, to look at your trends and you need to look exactly. at, the, at the past. So you, you should, uh, you know that you're maybe prepared, but you really need to make sure that everything uh, from past audits is closed uh, yes. and that you don't have the gaps there because there are some sometimes minor deviations that uh, get stuck, uh, you know, in the, in the queue and uh, they're never done. And then you need to m maybe go through the system and make sure that uh, all the changes are uh, closed and uh, all well, the deviations yeah. are closed, at least those uh, systematic things, just to make sure that, um, you know, it's done and uh, maybe alert the other, uh, the other uh, departments uh, to look at their internal uh, internal processes to make sure that all the changes or every, that all the documentation is closed. Yeah, so, so that's you would use your key performance indicators to identify whether you've got old change controls outstanding, whether you've got old deviations that are lagging on. Mm. So sure it's you, in the best case scenario that you really have already the um, uh, electronic system. Exactly, exactly, because you can use an electronic system to highlight the fact that th something is overdue, that it should have completed already. And use the system rather than the people to notify the people that are the, whoever needs to take the action. And then you have an escalation process so that the, if they don't do it, maybe somebody's left and maybe it needs to be reallocated to somebody else. Maybe somebody's off sick or on holiday. And it, when it gets escalated, then they action it and make sure it happens. But if, for example, you're not prepared already for your audit, if you've if you're just starting to do your um, inspection preparation now because you've maybe you know you've got an audit in coming up in six months or you're you've got to two and a half years since the last one so you're expecting it maybe you've not done the work to actually be prepared so then the, the first thing they should do is, is start by looking at the records so the way that I would do it is that from the quality perspective I would get the leaders the, the whether it's managers whether it's supervisors in the different departments and you say to them we've got an inspection we're expecting it due on this day now have you got any areas that you're concerned about and usually the people in the different teams will know the areas within their department where they've got a problem maybe they know that they've got an sop that they should have updated but they haven't yet maybe they're using a workaround because it's uh, the system that they're supposed to have implemented didn't work maybe they've got a certain team member that they have problems with. So you, you, you get your cards on the table and you talk about where the issues are. Now, whether you do that one-to-one -one with the individual team leaders or whether you do it as a team all together from across the site, that, that's down to the culture that's in that organization. So once you know where the problems are, you first start by fixing those. And then you want to do an audit, a compliance audit, a regulatory compliance audit. Now you want to go across the organization not down in the silos because 
the silos being the departments. So often you find the place where something goes wrong is when it's passed from one audit, one department to the next. And because it's maybe not quite clear who's responsible for which part, you quite often find it gets stuck at the interface. Rather than going from one and a clear handover to the next, it just steps in the middle. You've got a bit of a gap. And then somebody else comes along and they need whatever they, was supposed to be generated and they try and pick it up. But because it wasn't handed over fully, there's often a gap in the in the process. So you raise a deviation to, to fix the problem. But maybe you raised the deviation on your own and didn't refer back to the original person that submitted it. Now, in that case, it may be that they left something out on purpose. There was a problem with it at their end. So then you raise a deviation, but then you lose your audit trail back to the original problem. If you raise a deviation independently, you need to do a thorough root cause analysis, which goes back along the line. Yeah. So then you actually find the contributing factors. And from those contributing factors, you join the dots. And you find, oh, well, this stopped because of this. Now that gives you another opportunity to fix a problem. So when you're doing the audit along the line, you're looking at what sort of state is the facility in? Have you got everything appropriate where you should have? Is the design right? Is the design appropriate? If it's not appropriate, have you actually planned to do something different about it already? Now, assuming that's corrected, is it being maintained adequately? Are you finding that you've got little dust bunnies underneath the pallets because nobody's actually moving the pallets and they're just putting the stock on it and taking it off? Is the actual racking getting cleaned? Is the wall, are the walls being maintained? Have you got an appropriate, appropriate materials in use? Are the doors shut in properly? I went to one place and they had to push the door shut because the airflow was so strong, the closing mechanism wasn't strong enough. So the door always stayed open. And once you closed it, it blew back open again because somebody at the other side, it was really really well sealed building, the extra pressure, pushed it back up and it couldn't push itself. So you had potential contamination into the facility all the time. So airflows, what's happening with your airflows? Is the filtration to an appropriate level? Do the, does the flow for the materials, is it appropriate? Have you got a way through and a circular route so that it doesn't cross over? People, do the people have an appropriate route? Can they come in? Do they go through the change? Uh, do they have an airlock to go through? Are they doing their change in an appropriate manner? Have they got the step over in place? Is the cleaning that they do appropriate? Is the right are the right people in the right places? Then you move on to documentation. How are they maintaining the records? Are the records appropriate for what they're doing? Have they got the records in the right place? Are they referenced properly? Make sure they reference them back to the SLP or the work instruction or whatever they use on the site. Make sure you take examples of the people themselves so that you can then cross-reference back to the training. Look at some of the records they generated earlier on. Make sure you those are after they were trained. Okay, that, that's something that's unlikely that you're going to pick up, but you might see somebody that's new to the area. They may admit somebody's new to the area. So that's a good one to focus on. Make sure that the first work that they did actually was after they were trained. Does the training system identify whether they're in training, whether they're being supervised, whether they've completed their training, or is it just left to them? What level of competence have they been confirmed? How have they confirmed the competence in the job? Do they have a, a, a spike in deviations every time they get a new team member? And that spike is because the training's not adequate. But what they're doing is they're identifying a retraining for the person because they're saying retain them because they're not good enough. Where in actual fact, it's the system that they're using, the training process, the induction, the introduction to the systems and processes and not having the oversight for long enough so that they've got a good understanding of what they're doing. But all these things all come together. They all come together in a, in a process audit so that you can actually see continuity between the different areas. And whereas most self-inspections look down within a department, they rarely have one that looks across. Now, I always like to look across 
because I know that's the way you find most problems. So whether that's a self-inspection that looks across, or you join the dots between the self-inspections, or you have an overlap. So you have your review of your incoming through your process to your outgoing, rather than just having within the process when you're doing your self-inspection. Are there any specific examples that uh, may be applicable for specific areas? So if, if you go into logistics, the, into the warehouse, look at the top and look for something that doesn't look the same as the rest of the pallets. Mm-hmm. And you usually find that's the one that's been left for a reason that's never been resolved. Okay. Look for an area at the back that's isolated from the rest. Maybe it's not labelled, but it's different. Look at the um, uh, fire exits. Go from the fire exit to the outside. You may find that there's some evidence of people using the fire exit for bricks, additional bricks. Look for uh, skylights. Make sure that they've actually considered the uh, temperature impact for the skylights. Look for windows. I went into one once where they had an, op- an automatic op- opening mechanism on the window when it got hot. No wonder they had loads of flies in there. <laughs> look at pest control. Now, when you look at pest control, don't just look at the um, pest control, um, what do you call them, the bait boxes. Don't just look that the bait boxes are there. Look that they're set up appropriately. Are they in the right location? Is the, is the entrances, are all the entrances and the potential entrances covered by these bait boxes? Yeah. And then look at the placement of the bait boxes themselves. Often you find that the area has been cleaned and the bait boxes have not been put back in the correct place. So the best way with the bait box is to have guides to actually hold them into place. Now, if you have an automated, often in warehouses, you have an automated cleaning system with the brushes going round and you ride on it and you go around. And quite often you find that they push them into the corner. So the base boxes, you've got your, you've got like your, your doorway and you're going out around your doorway and often they're in this next uh, corner that, as you go further out. Now if this um, equipment that they're using for cleaning has pushed it into the corner, maybe they've got one for insects and one for rodents. You'll often find the two butting up against each other and the one that's actually in the corner against the wall has no entrance left because it's been closed at that end by the wall and closed at the other end by the other box. They have to be separated. So you have to make sure the people that are cleaning understand GDP and pest control. Now, they're the people that are often subcontracted. So how do you make sure your subcontractors are trained? How do you make sure they know the details? It's not the you've got to clean this area. It's what's the detailed GDP or GMP requirements that we need to take you to take into account when you're performing the function that we need. It's not like it's not like somebody cleaning is a is the lowest of the low. They're actually really important to the facility. So for example, I, I had a, a problem with wasps coming in. <clears throat> now these were not local wasps, these were wood wasps that were coming in from another country. And they had a, it was a, I think it was a bar tube that was like this long. But the problem was people thought it was the sting because it's the color of a wasp mm-hmm. and it was coming out of the, um, the pallet. Now, okay, they caught the one that got out, but underneath we caught the rest that were in the muck that was sat underneath the, um, uh, underneath the pallets mm-hmm. that hadn't been moved for a while. So you have to be careful to make sure everybody, not just the people in QA, not just the people in operations that are going into your controlled area, everybody must understand the implications of their role. Mm-hmm. And they must understand GDP, everybody in the organisation, not just, not just the people doing the work on the line. So, for example, if you talk to somebody in finance, now finance have been neglected for, are often neglected in a company. Oh, we just handle the money. Nobody needs that. Why, why do we need to have the GMP training? Okay, so the finance lady goes into operations, 
to meet with the head of operations or whichever role that they're meeting with to talk about the budget. But you've not trained them in GMP. Ah, well, they're not performing a GMP function. Uh, but they've just walked for the last 10 minutes through the facility and they walk past that product and that product and that product. Is it relevant for them? Yes, it is. So always insist your GMP, your GDP training is for everybody. No exceptions, because it might be that the person that you trained that's not got the routine um, access to the facility that notices something that everybody else has been ignoring. I don't know if you know about scotoma. The word scotoma is about something that you've got used to seeing mm. and you're no longer dealing with it. Yep. Exactly. You've already reported it to engineering. It's already been there two months and now you don't even realize it's there. Mm. Exactly. I went into a facility in the US. I walked up to a wall and I could see there was a gap. Not a wall, a door, sorry. There was a gap in the flooring. And when you open, I asked them to open the door. I pointed it out. So the sealed floor went up to there. Then there was a gap underneath the door. Sealed floor again. What's going on there? Where was the seal for the floor? It was up on the wall, just hanging over somewhere that should have been a pipe. And the first thing the, the guy that was showing me around, the um, head of opera, the operations manager, whatever his role was, he had a bit of a bit of a panic because we shouldn't have been there seeing it. It shouldn't have happened. And he told them to get on and and, and raise a, a maintenance request immediately. But they were still manufacturing. Yeah, it reminds me also about a case uh, um, that you really uh, also about trust. You know, so you have uh, contractors that uh, come and do uh, things uh, for you, and you start to trust them. Uh, also about uh, pest control. So uh, I was uh, on an audit in a warehouse, an external uh, warehouse, uh, with some colleagues, and uh, the same day the uh, mouse trap boxes were uh, replaced. Uh -huh. And uh, everything was signed from the company who does the pest control, and there is the map of uh, the trips. So uh, we went to the warehouse and we are walking around, and there are the on on the map they, um, you know, there it was locations. Uh, the locations are noted and everything is signed. They're there. We're going around. Suddenly we don't find one of the trips. It's not there. You know, and we are looking around. No, nowhere to be found. And um, and the responsible person who was there, he didn't uh, check. He just trusted that the person signed it, that uh, they are all there, and uh, and uh, and left. And then uh, nobody looked at it, and nobody checked it. But then a few hours later, there comes an auditor, you know, and uh -huh. uh, and uh, suddenly you have this uh, this uh, embarrassing mistake that uh, you, yeah, because the person, the manager, the shift manager, whatever, he also signed it, right? So yeah. you know, so you need to confirm he also signed it, but the trip is not there. So and then uh, of course, as you said, okay, uh, let's let's call the company. It never happened before, and and, and so and so on. So you know, uh, check, double check, and um, you know, if you if you sign your your name on something, make sure uh, there is something to back it up. Otherwise. Uh, yeah, you get yourself in trouble. Only sign it if it if it, you've actually verified it happened. Yeah, so you, they probably have the same company that comes there uh, for years, and you trust yeah. them. But it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter that your friend told you, "Yeah, I did. I did the, the test exactly the same, also in the quality control, or I weighed it uh, correctly." I'm working here for ten years. It's okay. I don't have to uh, to do the the for I check. It's okay. Just sign it. You know, trust uh -huh. me. You know, so still do it, you know. Exactly. Follow the process. That's Follow what it's process. <laughs> exactly. Mm -hmm. yeah. Talking pest control, you just reminded me of another example. So I had um the one up in Scotland I was doing an audit. And um I approached the facility and I saw a door open. And um it was propped open with a with a, a brush. So we went past it and continued to the, the, the entrance to the um facility went in through the office. 
I noticed in the office the door didn't close properly. Um, there was uh, there was the the the, the closing um, the closing bar that's supposed to shut it was disconnected. I noticed that there was a bit of a a not very well uh, lined around the uh, around the door as well, and that I pointed it out. Oh, it's okay. We just use this latch. But when we arrived, the latch wasn't on. It was just blowing in the wind. So we carried on through the facility, and we came up to this um, to this area with the door still open, still held open, and maybe two hours later with this brush. So we we go in and we have a look around, and, it, and it's got products stored in there. It's got the 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 fridges, controlled storage for fridges. It's got controlled drugs in there. It's got all sorts of things that shouldn't be open to outside. So I pointed it out and they closed it. Carried on through the inspection, we found in the pest control records, right upstairs in the centre of the facility, a problem with um, insects. I don't remember what the insects were, but a, a really big infestation in one particular area. It was in the the um, kitchen. So I thought, oh, is there a route from the open door to the kitchen? So we checked and there was. So we looked at the map on the um, uh, on the pest control chart, the map that you're talking about, the, the, the diagram. And I looked at the route that the pest would come from that door to the kitchen. There was no traps. There was no bait boxes, nothing. So they could just go straight in and straight into the facility. So then the next thing from that kitchen, was there anything to protect the facility? To protect the operational side of the business? No, because it wasn't facing an outside door. So they hadn't protected it because there was no risk. But there were, but there was because they, it was going straight up the pipework into the kitchen. Yeah. So you don't think about it. You don't uh, connect the things sometimes. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, then you have the problem, but you, you, uh, you cannot connect it. Why? Why it's happening? You don't look at it. And you certainly don't want to leave the, the fire escape open with the uh, brush all the time. <laughs> For sure. Well, nobody, obviously, nobody had done a walk around beforehand because mm. they had an audit coming just yeah. to do the basic checks. Yeah. They haven't done anything. Yeah. So, that, that, uh, so that's why we see that um, no, so not everybody works uh, all the time in the best uh, in the best uh, practice uh, way and uh, uh, until uh, the audit comes so it's uh, it's a it's a great uh, um, goal to do it but uh, yeah. nobody really follows it until it's uh, so you have sometimes procedures and uh, you need to uh, give feedback and uh, you know and um, a review and uh, and so on and so on but uh, nobody always uh, does it uh-huh so that's why it's important yeah. to to have it ingrained as a routine. Exactly. As a routine. Follow it as a routine, then you don't have the panic when you get the inspectors coming along. Yeah, because if you don't have a routine and uh, uh, the in internal audits, uh, but uh, more than that, the, the work in a routine that uh, maybe there is a walk around from people from di different departments that uh, just uh, take a look at it, uh, because it. Uh, if it's too late and you have even a one month uh, notice even more and sometimes you have uh, much less you cannot do everything uh, that quickly to correct all the all the problems and uh, it's uh, it just stacks up and uh, it's it's a problem uh -huh. yeah so um another thing that uh, maybe before uh, we wrap it up um the experts right so we there must uh -huh. be experts in place and they should uh, uh come join go uh, depending on the uh, uh, and uh, what are what the auditor is reviewing how do you choose the experts uh, correctly so you make sure you prepare with them beforehand so if you if you're going to identify experts for specific areas which you should do so you should have subject matter experts for every topic identified so during your self inspection you'd have worked with certain people and you know who's giving a good response and who's not giving a good response or if you've done a process audit but then when you identify the people that you feel are right to be the subject matter experts 
You then further prepare with them. You talk to them as if you're an auditor. So you tell them, first of all, how to behave, but then you say, well, we're going to do a practice session. And during the practice session, you expect them to behave appropriately. You make sure that you do the what's called a pregnant pause. You leave a gap and wait for them to talk. If they fill the gap, then you have to coach them a bit more. If they don't listen to the question and they assume they know what the answer is to your question, you coach them a bit more. Always answer the question that's asked. If you're unsure of what's being asked, question it, clarify. Don't guess. I do that on purpose as well, ambiguous questions. So they can take you wherever they know there's a problem. You're there to help them, you're preparing. But if you're doing the preparation, actual training, then you want them to, you want to make it clear to them. Now I want you to behave as if I'm the inspector. I'm the inspector, so you will be answering the question. You won't be filling any gaps. Be polite, show them round. Business. So you do that preparation on an individual basis. So you'll prepare them as a group. Make sure you've got your SOP, make sure you train them, make sure they understand what it is to be an S SME. But then on an individual basis, you verify that they're up to it. Who, and if they're not... Who shouldn't you um, pick? So probably there are uh, some personalities or um, so there are great experts uh, probably that uh, work in the company and they're amazing at the work, but uh, not everybody should uh, answer uh, the questions for an inspector because uh, some people are just uh, not up to it or they don't take it seriously. And I've seen occasions. Uh, so from your perspective, uh, who shouldn't you choose and so you, avoid? You observe when you're doing the preparation with them, you observe their behaviors. So somebody that talks and talks and talks and doesn't know when to stop, then you've got a problem. If they're nervous, some people are nervous and they sweat all the time when they're nervous and they can't get over it. It's not their fault. It's just physiological. They can't deal with it. Some people have been there a long time and they've not kept up to date. Maybe they don't know the details in the current SLPs for some reason. Maybe they're dealing with that per, the, the specific area and not the general area. So you want people to understand. Usually you wouldn't pick somebody that's on the line. Usually you wouldn't pick somebody that's got the very specific knowledge, but not the general knowledge. So you get somebody else to take them round, but maybe that person with the very specific knowledge you just get them to do that certain part. But saying a specific category of person that you wouldn't pick. Well, in theory, the inspector can ask anybody. So you have to make sure you've got general coaching, general training, which you fed down through the, the um, management team. But then you actually verify that the people that are going to what they're going to handle themselves appropriately. They're going to be smart. They're going to be um, on point and they're confident in what they're presenting because nervousness, because somebody's not practiced and done it before, is always going to catch you up. They're always going to slip yeah. up. Yeah. And I, I think it's also a part of the preparations. As you said, the auditor can uh, approach anybody and ask mm -hmm. anybody questions. So, um, it's uh, good to, to make sure that everybody who works the lines where the lives are uh, people who know what they're doing and uh, probably avoid putting uh, uh, the newest members in, in that shift mm -hmm. and um, probably mm -hmm. distribute and, uh, and, and give some training beforehand uh, to the make training sure. Beforehand. Yeah. The, the, the training beforehand for a new person. If the inspector comes to talk to you and ask you how to do something, if you can demo Say somebody says, can you take me through it? I'll just get the SOP. The easiest answer for somebody that new is new. I'll just get the SOP. Or I'll just get the work instruction. Yeah. And they but take them through it. should it. be uh, um, on your desk, basically, if you're doing this job right now. So it was the way I, I remember when I, I was in the, in the lab, in the quality control, it was like ABC. You don't... Uh, 
start your work before you have your SOP before your eyes. And it doesn't matter if you remember it by heart. It doesn't matter. It should be in front of you. Exactly. Always the easiest way to get through an inspection. Yeah. And uh, even before, you know, and it was a best practice. It doesn't matter inspection or not. You don't mm -hmm. get uh, to work before you have the printed version with the newest version uh, before your eyes. Uh, and uh, otherwise... Um, you know, and it's a good example of a good uh, practice uh, yeah. because there, you know, there are many people who order like they they know they so they so and the the whole analytics uh, from better than it's described in the SOP. But uh, and yeah. they could uh, say, okay, I don't need it. I, uh, why, why should I need it? Why should I print it? And uh, probably they also may say, okay, I don't need to document it. Uh, uh, right, right away because I remember everything. Uh, but it comes back to the best practice, and it's especially for the the people who are the most experienced. Because when you feel that you're dead good at what you do, you may start neglecting some of the of the things. And uh, sometimes it's uh, more crucial than with the newer members who are a bit more nervous yeah. th and they have all the documentation around them and they are uh, documenting by the second. Contemporaneous. <laughs> at the time yeah exactly so Paul is I there anything else that uh, you you want to um, address about uh, audit preparation that we didn't uh, talk about which you think is important make sure there's enough time um, time is of the essence with preparation for inspections so if you're expecting it in a certain time scale because you know when it was last carried out. Don't wait for the notification. Prepare in advance. Because if you're doing it in advance and you've got time to prepare, you're going to get a much better result than trying to do it at the last minute in a panic. Yeah. So uh, good. Uh, so what you say, what you're saying is uh, anticipate the inspection. So exactly. Feel it. Exactly. Okay. So uh, maybe have a list. Okay, I got audited from this uh, authority back then, uh, or from this supplier back then. Okay, it's coming. So we should uh, yep. be uh, ready. Should always know what's coming. Mm. That's a good tip, mm -hmm. because I I think that uh, maybe not everybody does that. No, it's having a plan, an audit plan. Mm -hmm. Um, you know when it's coming. You know what's expected. You know what. Mm -hmm. Um evidence you need to put together make sure you've got it and it's prepared and it's ready yeah don't do it the day before <laughs> exactly perfect so, uh, great so uh, paul thank you very much uh, for sharing uh, all your experience and it was uh, a pleasure talking to you about this uh, issue thank you Jan. it's been a good day Thank you for tuning in and watching or listening to this episode of the Qualitox podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, consider subscribing and sharing it uh, with your colleagues. Uh, stay compliant and see you in the next one.